the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. What a day, what a night, what's happening. It's amazing to see. Um, It is... um, well, it's not dull. I did a, a radio interview this morning on an Indiana radio station. I said, um, just when you thought the election was settling down into be, being the most chaotic election ever, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, nomination. Looks like it's going forward in some form. Uh, and what I'm told by people, I had a conversation with a gentleman who should know. He's involved uh, heavily at the level of, uh, of what's going on. Said it will get done by the time uh, the election it will get done by then. So, wow. Uh, we're going to watch that. Ed Martin, great to be with you. Uh, I'm a little tired today because the last three nights I've been doing the EagleCountdown.com. In addition to doing this program, go to EagleCountdown.com and you'll see we did about 15 hours of live streaming strategy sessions, interviews, conversations. We had Ted Cruz, uh, Senator Grassley, Senator Rand Paul, uh, Congressman, a few of them, some key policymakers, some experts you may know of, and of course, the great Sidney Powell. It was awesome. It was a great uh, idea, and we did a great uh, service, I think, and had tens of thousands of our Eagle leaders and others join in to pay attention at this important time. So go to EagleCountdown.com. You can check it out. Uh, And of course, make sure you're signed up at ProAmericaReport.com to get the daily wink. Get the daily wink in your email, and you'll know what you need to know. So, hey, we have a huge show tonight. Uh, If you're listening right now, you need to stay through the whole show. In a few minutes, Judge Janine Pirro will be with us. She's got a new book out. Judge Janine is, um, well, a huge star between Fox and also her books. We'll talk with her. Ted Malik is in. He's got an essay that's uh, standing out. The President of the United States has it in the White House, is reading it. So we'll see uh, if that catches on. It's a very good essay. We'll talk about it. So there you have it. We got a big show. Let me first mention um, that uh, you can always get these interviews after we're done on the program at ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, uh, and go there and uh, listen to any of these interviews you hear me talk about or you heard or you remembered. You can go check them out there. Okay. Um, Today, let's talk first about about the first of all about the double standard, the double standard in politics. The double standard in politics is so obvious, it's almost funny to talk about it, right? I mean, the simple fact is that the uh, the double standard in politics goes like this. We the people have one set of rules and the people in power have another set. 
They can, you know, make a fortune. Their family can make money and in, in ways just based on power. And we're stuck slogging away in our own lives. You know, the double standard is obvious when you think of like if Hillary Clinton deleted, you know, hundreds of thousands or I guess 33,000 emails, something like that, and uh, paid no price. You and I, we'd pay a big price. The head of the national security uh, apparatus in America, I think it was Clapper. Yeah, Jim Clapper. He lied to the Senate. No price paid. Roger Stone seemed to mislead the House. That's the accusation. He gets in the ringer, millions of dollars in legal fees, threatened with jail, et cetera, et cetera. The double standard, especially in this era, is completely obvious. If you're on the left, they won't cover your problems because the media wants to hide that. See, for example, Epstein and Bill Clinton, their close relationship. If you're on the right, they'll cover everything under the sun and make it sound like the end of the world. And that's a huge, huge double standard. But everybody knows it. Well, the newest example of the double standard is the Biden-Burisma report that came out today. It was issued by Senator Johnson of Wisconsin and Senator Grassley of Iowa. And in the report, they basically say everybody knew that Hunter Biden was doing something improper. At the least, it was the appearance of impropriety. At the most, it was full-blown corruption. We don't really know. But here's the thing you do know. Since Joe Biden left office three years ago, he's made his net worth has gone from almost nothing to somewhere around 30 million dollars. I think that's the estimate. Now, well, how did he do that? Did he write a book? No. Did he practice law? No. Did he give speeches for pay? I guess he might have done some of that. But the fact is he was just paid because he was connected. And the bet was he either had done something. By the way, he had either done something for people before and it was finally the payout time or they could get a benefit in the future. Think about, for example, the Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation raised hundreds of millions of dollars when she thought she might be president, when it was thought she would be president. That's the double standard, because here's the deal. Burisma and the Ukraine and all the rest looks like clear, clear conflict of interest and really outrageous, frankly, corruption. But Donald Trump was impeached over a conversation with the Ukrainians let alone money transfer in the millions and tens of millions, we don't even know for sure, of Hunter Biden. Now, I do have a little bit of a quibble. I think this report should have been issued about six months ago. I think they could have gotten it done because it's already being painted into the corner of, well, it's election time. But let me just say, it's a total double standard that Joe Biden's son and his family and everybody enriched themselves, in this case in the Ukraine. It's also a double standard that the story is not being covered. It's not being covered by the mainstream media. Fox is covering it somewhat. But that's an echo chamber, right? And, you know, One America News is covering it's an echo chamber. The mainstream media should be covering it and saying, hey, what is this? How does this work? This isn't right. This is not what we expect. And they're not doing any of that. They're not doing any of that. It's, it's incredible to watch the double standard that goes on in this country and how powerful it is and how, how, how clear it is. It doesn't matter what you say. You can't break through that. All right. My second point for what you need to know today, and we've got two of them today, is this one. And I, this is very important for you to hear. Uh, it's really fascinating. And in, in, in I tell you often that Politico, Politico.com, is really the best resource to see what the left, the Democrats, are doing. And um, you have to... 
you know, go there and you'll see. And right now, actually, it was earlier today. I took a screenshot. I'm looking at the screenshot that the front page of Politico. And again, remember that this is what the left is doing. The Democrats are doing, but they tend to be pretty sophisticated. I mean, Politico writes. They've got good writers that I don't think they're I think they're lefties, but good writers. Here's a piece that's on the front page of Politico. When I took the screenshot earlier today by, by John Bresnahan, who's one of their senior writers and Marianne Levine. I don't know her, but I give her credit for her name. I want to say it. She's a writer. And it, it's the title of it is. Uh, Democrats worry Feinstein can't handle Supreme Court battle goes on and on and on and on with anonymous quotes from Democrat senators saying Senator Dianne Feinstein, 87 years old, isn't up for the job of running, uh, being the ranking member of judiciary. Dianne Feinstein took a phone call and answered and defended herself. And so here's my point. The reason why Dianne Feinstein is being targeted by the Democrats at this point is because she is not suitably uh, caving in to their demands on things like getting rid of the filibuster and being left wing. Now, it may also just be ageism and, you know, the, the, the bigotry of ageism. They don't think an 87 year old's up for it. But she's been in the Senate a long time. And, and this lengthy political piece is basically pressuring her to step aside. Now, again, back to my point, the only civil war in the in the parties today in the American party system is not in the Republican party it's Trump's party it's the America first anti-communist Chinese regime you know put our people ahead of the others uh, that's our party that's the Republican party that's the conservative parties pro-life other things no the civil war is within the Democrat party where the AOC folks are pulling the party to the left but they're also wanting to jettison the old guard And they're wanting to say to the old guard, move on. And they're not willing to have people who are going to be a part of the Judiciary Committee hearings if they're not willing to, in the words of Don Lemon, in the words of uh, Sidney, Senator Blumenthal, uh, burn it down. They don't want people that want to ask a question. They want people that will burn it down. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body is uh, is 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 in the casket is now in the Supreme Court. It's they got a viewing and all. I went by there today. I saw a bunch of folks. I didn't go to view the casket, but I saw a lot of folks lined up. And as they get ready for this fight over a new nominee, you just have to know the battle, the civil war is in the Democrat Party. Another article in Politico, which was interesting to see, is the coverage of the fact that the transition team, the folks that are going to be a part of uh, of a transition, if there is one, there won't be, I don't think, but uh, are already uh, getting um, circling and making sure that they get their people in the uh, in the White House, meaning the AOC, the far left folks have realized that personnel is policy and they're pushing to get themselves included. And that's what's going on. So, look, I I watch this happen over the coming weeks as the um, confirmation unfolds that you're going to see a battle between the the regular Democrat Party, the old guard and these uh, wild AOC types. And it will it will be ugly. It, it will not be a pleasant thing. It will be nasty and it will be painful and it will be, well, sort of fun to watch for a guy like me. But I think you're going to see that happening and it's going to be extraordinary to watch. So watch for that. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, we've got Judge Janine Pirro and after her, Ted Malik and a lot more. So thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, you can go over to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for our daily email, as well as get the daily wink there and get any of these interviews there, too. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, great to be with you. Be back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Well, that's, uh, that's how radio works. We're, we're supposed to have Judge Janine Pirro. Unfortunately, she's got a new book out. Unfortunately, I'm not sure whose lines were crossed, but we're not getting her today. So Judge Janine Pirro will come back and talk with her, I hope, about her new book, Don't Lie to Me and Stop Trying to Steal Our Freedom, which is out just yesterday, actually came out, uh, and uh, it is uh, available wherever you see books. And we'll again, we'll get her back on. We'll talk, I'm sure we'll get her on. And it's uh, published, um, uh, Center Street published it. And so there you have it. Okay. But let me do, let me do, let, let me go ahead and talk to you about an issue, uh, a legal issue. You probably heard some of it. It's uh, Louisville, Kentucky is uh, is hanging by uh, hanging on the, this this situation today. Brianna Taylor, uh, the young woman who died in that uh, unfortunate, terrible situation in Louisville, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, they finally uh, laid out today um, that there will be a charge against one of the officers uh, for a pro for an issue uh, violation, but not murder. And so then now we're watching whether Louisville goes up in flames. There's been some protests and all. But here's what I want to tell you. Um, we've talked often about the problem of the media. And I told you, I lived through Ferguson in Missouri when I was in St. Louis. I was chairman of the Republican Party, and I knew what happened at Ferguson was not what the media portrayed it. And yet they burned that city down. They burned it down to the ground. And Breonna Taylor, as well as uh, Mr. Floyd up in Minnesota, the media has allowed this question, these issues to become central in a way to stoke everyone up. And there's no better example than the attorney general of Kentucky who announced the decision in this case. He's an African-American 30 something year old guy, very impressive. And he said, so he's African-American. He's a Kentucky attorney general elected by the people of Kentucky. And he said, look, there wasn't a murder here. We're not going to charge murder. There was a problem. We'll try, we'll figure that out. And, and then when he got off the stage, MSNBC has a reporter, has a commentator on African-American woman. And she says he's skin folk, meaning he's black. But he's not kinfolk. He should be ashamed of himself. And then goes on and waxes uh, inelegant, unelegant on this, inelegant on this uh, situation. Here's what I want to tell you. The media has gone so bonkers on the race issue. They've made everything is through the prism of race. You know, last night, uh, two nights ago, the Emmys happened. And the Emmys happened. And um, the uh, and the Emmys, when the Emmys happened... The, uh, the 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 Mrs. America, the one that I t- I've told you so much about about Phyllis Schlafly, and they um they didn't they only won a single um a single Emmy, and it was for the woman who uh, portrayed Shirley uh, Shirley Chisholm, the Congresswoman who ran for president, African American, and so I said to someone, we should comment on the fact that they got shut out except for the the uh, Shirley Chisholm character, and my and the guy that I was talking to said, yeah, but they'll say we're talking only about race, and I said, what do you mean? He said, doesn't it look like the only person who uh, who won uh, was the African American? I said, no, no, that can't be. The point my friend brought up, and I I'm, I'm echoing this, is right now. The, the only sort of acceptable uh, kind of uh, way to get attention is to go ahead and try to bring race into everything. It's extraordinary how frequently they do that, how frequently the media drives us. They're making us crazy. They really are trying to stoke up race, racial tensions and race war even. I mean, you know, the coverage of George Floyd to this moment, they haven't covered how hopped up he was on terrible, terrible drugs. By the way, I'm not blaming him, by the way. If he was mishandled by the police, then somebody should be charged. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. Same thing now with Breonna Taylor. And I really do. I do blame the media. I believe that the media has caused this problem. The whole thing with the NFL, 
They made the NFL thing and the, and the, and the national anthem into a racial question. And it always becomes about race. It always becomes about, you know, racist behavior. And, and I will say that this, this is one of the realities. We had Steve Cortez on the program last week. And Steve is a radio host of the Salem Radio Network like me. And he's uh, he's been on uh, TV all the time. Right now, he's actually on leave from his uh, radio program in Chicago with the Salem Radio Network on the Answer, uh, Answer Chicago to help the Trump campaign. He does these videos. He's very good, very effective guy. And Steve, one of his videos that was so effective is... Breaking down the the uh, fine people hoax in Charlottesville, where the media has gone out of their way to try to claim that President Trump is racist. And I just bring you back to that image of Herschel Walker saying, hey, I've been friends with this guy for 37 years. Don't take my word for it, but don't insult me by saying he's racist. And it was extraordinary exchange, by the way. I mean, extraordinary speech. I've told you it was one of the most powerful ones, I think. And, 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 and the kinds of things this president has done, and there's never been any evidence of the kind of animus. But my point here is that's what the media wants. They want to feed the racial uh, injustice. They want to feed the anger over race. They want to make us crazy about race and about racism you know the 1619 project that started and said the founding of america wasn't 1776 it was uh, 1619 huh that the founding of america was about slavery what and then we go into the um critical race theory the president eliminated that and the left started screaming bloody murder and his point was why are we scapegoating one single group why are we scapegoating one single group and making them the ones that look like they're uh, they're um, uh, you know uh, tar- uh, uh, the, the responsible for everything else. That's what critical critical race theory does. It's the it's it's the most divisive thing that the media could do is turn everything into racial. And you watch them do it. I just said this uh, MSNBC example. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. It's actually it's not horrendous. It's evil. It's evil stuff. And it should stop. It needs to be stopped. And we'll see if it ever is. And uh, and I will tell you, say this, that more and more people, I think, are tuning it out as hysteria and are saying to themselves something like, hey, um, you know what? I feel differently about what's going on. I feel better about what's going on. I feel more positive about what's going on in America. And I'm tuning out the TV, cable news and the Washington Post, because I can't trust them. And I'm paying attention to what I'm actually feeling. And that's in a few minutes. We're going to go next. Yeah, next will be Ted Malik, our next guest, has written a piece about how the country is primed for a historical revival, a great awakening like we've had in the past. It's a fascinating argument. And it contrasts what the media wants you to think about us. We'll talk to uh, Ted Malik after this break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Ted Malik. You can go to tedmalik.com if you'd like. Dr. Ted Malik, is, that's where all his writings are. Writes over to American Greatness. He previewed this piece, or he teased me about it a few days ago. Said, Ed, you're going to want to read this one. Posted uh, late yesterday on americangreatness.amgreatness.com. Uh, the title is Trump and the American Revival. The president, unlike his opposition, defends and rearticulates America's spiritual capital, ushering in America's fifth great awakening. Ted Malik, as, my, as the listeners know, he's a free 
frequent guest. He's a writer of many books and a, a businessman and a professor at various times. Now lives in London uh, and has a great perspective on what's going on. I, Ted, I have to say I was very surprised at this piece because you write so often on what you see in the economy. I know you, you write a lot about how people, um, I don't know, the psychology of the American citizen and voter. So it's not like you're not attuned. But this one struck me as uh, as I, I was surprised. I mean, I, th- I agree with you and I agree with the piece. Walk us through, first of all, how'd you, how did you see this? What, what, you know, what made you sort of come to this and maybe, maybe describe what you're seeing in the American people? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm surprised that you're surprised, but uh, <laughs> uh, because I, uh, you know, I grew up as an evangelical Christian. I am a practicing Christian. I'm a member of the uh, Anglican Church here in England, and I have a deeply religious uh, view of the world. I, you know, I, I, I believe in the um, the nature of the Holy Scriptures, the power of Jesus Christ and His salvic work, and I look at American history, and as a historian, in part, I see God's hand in our history, providentially, and uh, as I say at the beginning of this piece, this is something that is very, very uncomfortable for modern, secular people to understand, and particularly for the media. They're very embarrassed by this story. They don't want to cover it. They detest religious faith. They wish it would go away. In many ways, they just hate it. But this is part of who we are as a people, as a nation. And um, we can talk about how these great awakenings, which are really revivals of American spirituality, have made America what it is. And that includes going way back to the decades just preceding the American Revolution itself. We're talking with Ted Malik, and hey, Ted, to be clear, what I, I knew your faith background. I just thought I, I didn't think anyone else was seeing this, and and I'm not saying I saw it quite as well as you yeah. did, but it felt like a lot of people were. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer and, and a, a, a reader and, and student of Eric Hoffer, the the famous yeah. uh, kind of autodidact who wrote a book called True Believers: The Reflections on Mass Movements. I know you and I have talked about it before, but for our listeners, one of the things that that um, that you read in there with Hoffer, he talks about mass movements, and he says, well, there's political mass movements, there's cultural mass movements, and there are religious mass movements. And although I have thought we need one, I guess I was, I'm, I'm really interested in, and I'm pleasantly surprised that you see the movement among people to, to that, that makes it possible. I mean, as you point out, you still need a leader, and President Trump is in a, in a, in a unique way that leader. Uh, but I guess the thing is, do you really see it in the American people? Because they got certain segment is that segment of people that's rioting. It's not very many, but the rest of the folks are sort of uh, too, less people are going to church, less people are paying attention to some things. It seems. Are you? Uh, you know, how do you think this can take off? Well, again, I I talk about the progression of these different Great Awakenings. We've had four of them demonstrably in American history. That's a long history, and the outcomes and the effects of those Great Awakenings uh, awakenings are are very demonstrable. I mean, the American independence grew out of the first one. The abolitionist and temperance movements grew out of the second one. The third one had a lot to do with missionary movements, with the founding of civic organizations like the YMCA. The fourth one, Mm -hmm. the Nobel Prize winner, um, uh, Robert Fogel, talks about the Jesus movement, the charismatic faith Mm. that grew up 
in the late 60s, particularly in the 1970s. I think, and I don't be optimistic, I think there are signs, religious, sociological signs, that America is turning its heart back to those origins. And I'm questioning then what will be the manifestation. Um, I was precipitated to write this piece, which is a very moving piece, I must say. I've got an incredible amount of email today about this piece, much more so than when I read about companies or about Supreme Court justices or I read about the economy. This really right. touches people at the core of who they are, at their heart, and then they question who are we as a nation, who are we as a people. Is God working his purposes out in our very times? And I go out on a limb and I say, uh, and there's a story connected to this, so I want your viewers and listeners to go and listen to this sermon at the very beginning. There is yeah, a beautiful. reason to think about Donald Trump as the harbinger of that faith-based fifth great awakening in American history. It is interesting for to think about when you and I haven't studied them. I love reading your piece. I learned more about them. The uh, the four earlier Great Awakenings, and 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 the uh, and how they came about. And I, I've often said to people, if you think about Franklin Graham, if Franklin Graham was born fifty years earlier, he might have been a very successful preacher. But he was able to benefit for, and, and he was fearless in the airplane. He flew all over the world. Um, and the question I have as this as your uh, piece suggests, going through this is. How does the technology fit in? On one level, everyone can be accessed by a movement, an awakening. On another level, feels like a lot of the big uh, tech and the and the and the media is against this kind of movement because it's not their values. How, how do you how do you assess that in this world of hyper cable TV and and big tech dominance? Well, I think in any historical period, you know, whether you're going back, you know, to the Roman times when Christ himself walked, uh, uh, you know, on earth, or you talk about different historical periods in, in anyone's history or in American history, there are always forces opposing that spirituality as well as those who are affirming it. So uh, it's not the case that it's uh, automatic, that it's easy, that it's untested, that there is, you know, a lack of persecution. Christianity is a very difficult, uh, you know, religion to practice. It has consequences. But when God calls his people, as he has, then there are demonstrable effects. As I say in the piece, um, this kind of spiritual capital, which is the term that I've given it, it's kind of a um, social science term to make this more palatable, frankly, to the you know the intellectuals in the world. I say it may lie dormant; it can be wasted. Um, on the other hand, it can be used productively. It can be augmented, and it can also be diminished or eroded. And the question then, uh, for us today in our times, is. Is our spiritual capital, is this Judeo-Christian heritage that we've inherited, is it under assault? And the answer is yes. It is very much under assault. And I go on in this piece to spell out where those sources of current attack are on our Judeo-Christian spiritual capital. They include the perennial kinds of um, heretical utopian Gnosticism, which of course today means socialism. All of these Marxist-derived narratives, particularly around equality and complaints about modernity, 
the new ones are the Chinese Communist Party, our main adversary in the world today. Militant secularism, which is domestic mm-hmm. as well as international. Anarchism, and of course we know militant Islamism, which of mm-hmm. course has a terroristic side. Trump, unlike any other leader in American history, or in recent American history, is, I think, rebutting those attacks. And he argues that America will not survive without a renewal of its Judeo-Christian spiritual capital. We're talking with Ted Malik, and again, his piece is over at American Greatness, uh, amgreatness.com. You'll see this, uh, and uh, the uh, the very, very, as you say, very uh, provocative and uh, and um, uh, kind of I don't know, risky isn't the right word, but kind of thought provoking. Um, Ted, is the um, what is the response from? I know you you talk to folks in the White House. Have you heard a response and heard you know is are people watching this and thinking we see it too? Yes. Uh, in, in a, in a one-word answer, uh, I know that there is uh, great support for this line of argument, and I've had conversations with people who are in that place this very day. Hmm. Um, all right, Ted Malik, I think you're right. Uh, how do, by, by the way, how does the Supreme Court fight fit into it? Is there a faith component and a and well, a, I think, I and think a sort does. of? Pro- I think I think it yeah. does. Um, uh, not even indirectly. We have an opportunity. I was on BBC yesterday. Uh, people can't believe it. The president is exercising his political responsibility to choose <laughs> the next Supreme yeah. Court justice. Who is that justice? And we know it's going to be a she. So what does she think? What does she believe? What is her judicial philosophy? These are consequential things. It's going to be somebody who's going to be on the court for 30 or 40 years once the nomination gets cleared and voted on. If that person is somebody like Judge Barrett, think mm-hmm. of the consequence. Well, and I, I, you know, I wrote a letter, uh, uh, Ted, real quickly. I'll finish with this uh, comment. I wrote a letter to some of the uh, senators, Democrat senators, about the nasty comment by the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, Diane Feinstein. Senator Feinstein said to uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, when she was nominated for a court, a court of appeals position, and she said, you know, the dogma runs uh, uh, runs strong in you, or something like this, sort of an implication, of course, about the uh, about the her Catholic faith. But I wonder also. Uh, uh, Ted, a lot of our uh, conservative and, and not, not just conservative, a lot of people are looking and saying, wow, so much has been happening with this president and so much of it good. It feels providential. I mean, a lot of times a movement is providential an awakening. I mean, excuse me, an awakening or a movement is how you feel, not necessarily even what's true. I think a lot of people feel like there's been uh, uh, the hand of God in here. Well, they shouldn't feel that way. I think it is evidential. Uh, yeah. And a lot of us are praying about that constantly. I know yourself is included. Uh, and people across all of our Judeo-Christian uh, traditions. So, you know, uh, it's not just one or another, and not just evangelicals mm-hmm. or Catholic. It's Mormons and everyone else. And I, I really do believe, this is why I wrote this piece, that you see that hand of God stretching down into American history in the year 2020. And I end the piece talking about the ringing of the Liberty Bell, which is so important, so important. And I kind of euphemistically say President Trump is ringing that same bell again. 
Well, and I thought that was also it's a good piece, especially Ted, and lots thought provoking, but also education, bringing people around to these uh, to the roots of things and uh, what's happening. Ted Malik, thank you, TedMalik.com to see all of his writings. But this piece, it's important, which I put up on my social media, and it will be up uh, throughout our Eagles uh, network. It's uh, Trump and the American Revival, uh, the, and uh, by Ted Malik uh, yesterday. American Greatness, AmGreatness.com. It is. Uh, it's a. Um, it's an important one. I think it's going to be a, a one that stands the test of time. So thanks, Ted. Thank you for your time. Good to be with you. Thanks. All right. All right. We will take a break. and we come back, we've got a lot more. We'll finish up uh, on the program. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in just one moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger lived a life of evil intents, evil beliefs, and evil actions. She pioneered the field of eugenics, a horrendous belief system which holds that we should prevent supposedly inferior people from breeding so they won't spread their inferior genes to offspring. Sanger specifically targeted the physically and mentally disabled as well as racial minorities. Sanger called these people human weeds, morons, and human waste. She infamously wrote this to a friend. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. How terrible. Sanger has been criticized for her radical beliefs by pro-lifers for years. Now Planned Parenthood is beginning to realize they aren't doing enough to cover up their own evil origins. To this end, a New York branch of the abortion giant announced they would no longer bear Sanger's name on their clinic. They publicly denounced her racism, ableism, and classism. Pro-lifers should not be fooled into calling this a conservative victory. The name of the abortion clinic may be changed, but Margaret Sanger's evil beliefs live on behind the doors of that clinic. Planned Parenthood still kills thousands of black children every year. In fact, more black children are killed by abortion each year than are actually born. Planned Parenthood intentionally places their abortion mills in areas with a high population of minorities. On top of all this, Planned Parenthood openly opposes any effort to stop eugenically motivated abortion. This means they actively fight any law meant to protect unborn children from discrimination based on race, sex, or disability. If you find out your unborn child has Down syndrome, they want you to be able to kill your child and try again, just like Margaret Sanger would have wanted. As Planned Parenthood of St. Louis medical director put it, every reason to have an abortion is a valid reason. Removing Margaret Sanger's name will do nothing to save the lives of children robbed of their right to exist. We must stop the racist, sexist, and ableist mission of abortion providers and stop it now. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back, everybody. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you and um, great interviews. I hope you enjoyed those interviews. Uh, let's go. Let me go uh, back, though, to a story that I need to uh, spend some time with you on. And that is the story of the voter fraud to come. And 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 not only that, the systematic engineering of the problem. OK, so what we have and I, this story is actually a few days old that I but I, I flagged it to come back to Michigan judge extends the deadline for two weeks for mail in ballots postmarked by November 2nd. OK, so what's happening is the 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 judges are beginning a, uh, a concerted effort. They've had litigation that's been laid out there by lots of the folks that um Uh, pay attention that have been planning this, the Democrats. And the plan is to get judges in these cities to allow the polling to stay open for two weeks. There are two reasons. I mean, not the polling, the counting. There are two weeks. There are two weeks to, uh, to, 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 for them, for them to do. There are two things they can do when they have an extension of two weeks. One is destabilize America, the system, basically say we're not going to be able to certify the election. We're not going to be able to tell you who won and make everybody on edge and destroy this country. The second one is they can go find votes. They can go find ballots. They can go find the people that they need. They can go harvest them. If you don't think that's possible, you don't know human nature. If you don't think that's probable, you don't see the anger uh, aimed at this president by the establishment, by the Democrats, by everybody else. So this judge in Michigan and what they do is they say under the guise of of, you know, making sure everybody gets their incredible franchise to vote. We're not only going to extend the deadline, we're going to allow the temporary use of ballot harvesting. So if you don't vote. Someone will come to your house and say, didn't you mean to vote? And now it's the honor system about whether you say, yeah, I did mean to vote or I did vote and I don't know where it is. It's incredible. And I'll put it up on social media, but it's a shot right at the heart of the integrity of the system. And the reality is this. Just the truth is this. You're not going to have you're going to have voter fraud. You're not going to avoid voter fraud when you set up a system that allows so many people access to the opportunity to cheat. In other words, if the cost of cheating is low enough, people will do it. People will find a way. And I'll remind you of my time as the chairman of the board of elections in the, in the, in the city of St. Louis, I was the chairman of the board. There's an appointed position. We got paid a little stipend, but we mostly were all citizens on the board and we supervised the elections. And what I came to learn was it's hard work to do an election. You got to have the moving parts. You've got to have the integrity and you've got to work hard at it. And there was at that time, we had just gone to some machines that were electronic, but they had a paper trail, right? They had a, they had a receipt trail. And so you, you could, you had to, you did have a paper backup. But here's the second thing I learned after learning that it's hard work to do an election. It's a lot of logistics, a lot of things. The second thing I learned was this. People have to believe the election is working. They have to believe that there's integrity in the election. Because if they don't believe that, they start to give up. There's a couple things. One is they don't think it's worth voting, which is a huge problem. And the second thing is they just start to distrust the system and they start to talk down on the system and you start to, it starts to self-fulfill. So you have to use all of your talent to run good elections and then also give people confidence. The best confidence and, and remember, this is in St. Louis City, so it's all Democrats. I was the Republican appointee because the governor appoints them, and it was a, a Republican governor at the time. But the best thing, it was, always, it was always Democrat versus Democrat when I was there. There were very few Republicans running for office. So th- it was funny because I was a Republican, and they would come to me and say, the best thing we can do is have more transparency. 
Make it so people can see what's going on, and that will give them more confidence that it's working. And so what we did in lots of times is we made sure that there were representatives of both candidates in any recount or anything like that. And here's the thing. Once you start having recounts, you start to introduce more human error, more uh, opportunity for disagreement and dispute and anger and rage and all sorts of stuff. Imagine what's going to happen in these counties where you have tens of thousands of mail-in ballots. People don't sign them correctly. They don't fill them out right. And what are you going to do? Have judges say, well, we know they intended to vote even though they didn't fill it out because they voted last time. Even more, they'll say, we know they invented they we know they intended to vote for the Democrat because they vote only for Democrats. So we'll read their mind, even though they didn't check the box or they didn't sign it. But we're just going to waive the signing requirement because, well, they must have meant to sign it. They filled it out. You don't know. And there's no person there. There's no person under oath. There's no when you you know, when you go into a polling place, one of the things that is a, a, a um, an improvement or at least an adjustment from 2000 on was you can always vote a provisional ballot. So if there's a dispute about whether you deserve to be in that jurisdiction, not always, I should say that a little more carefully. If you have a certain threshold of, of, of seeming to be able to vote in that place, you can vote a provisional ballot and then you figure out later what the reality is. So let's say you show up in a polling place and you say, I live here, I'm registered to vote, I want to vote. And they say, well, it doesn't look like your registration is in. And you say, yeah, I registered on such and such a day. Here's the paperwork. And they say, well, it doesn't seem to match. And then they say, well, here, we'll let you cast a provisional ballot. We'll go back and make sure you deserve to be you should be here and we'll let it count my point is that's a process that takes time back then it took time what happens when there's ballots that are mailed in and people are standing in a room trying to decide if the ballots count and whether the signatures match and all these other things a it's going to take forever and b it's going to lead to discrepancies and it's going to lead to here we watch these words a magic word disparate impact disparate impact it's going to affect people in the country in different ways in different places which is unfair it's unfair that process becomes unfair to have one place say well it doesn't really matter if you filled out the ballot or didn't sign it or whatever we know we know your intention in the other place they make you live up to your uh, requirements it's not fair. That fairness is going to be a problem. It's going to be a perception problem as well as a reality. All right, I got to run. Uh, running out of time. Thank you uh, for our great uh, technical director, as usually Noah. Randy is in uh, helping us out now. Joanna for booking the guests and all of you for listening. We will be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. 